My name is Alex Kashuta, and this is the Subversive Podcast. It's an excuse for me to talk to some of the most interesting people on the heterodox to heretic spectrum. Everyone from iconoclast philosophers to rogue scientists to real post-BuzzFeed journalists and our true intellectual elite, Twitter anonymous accounts. In short, they're quite subversive. Enjoy. Today, I'm joined by Dryden Brown. Dryden is the co-founder and CEO of Praxis Society and Blue Book Cities. And he is um, a very interesting um, character because he is a creator of cities, which is, I guess, someone you rarely encounter in, in your day-to-day life. So I'm really happy that he's here with me and he's going to explain a little bit about what it takes to create um, cities. Hey, Dryden. Well, cool. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm excited. Uh, I've been following you on on Twitter. Obviously, I've I've kind of uh, you know traced your uh, adventures in in the in the world of of building cities. I mean, we've also had a conversation about uh, about you know what it might involve for for me to move to to one of your cities. Obviously, this is all in the future, but I think it's uh, it's really fascinating stuff. So uh, it's definitely at the at the top of my mind to you know to investigate these intentional communities or whatever you want to call them. Um, but I'm curious, what, what brought you to the space of um, community creation or, or whatever you want to call it? You know, what, what made, make someone get involved in the space? Like what was the, what was the, the first impetus for you? Totally. Um, well, I mean, I think, um, you know, being in high school, reading Atlas Shrugged, sort of Galt's Gulch, I think that idea was interesting. Um, you know, Peter Thiel was funding seasteading. It was like sort of like Galt's Gulch in the ocean, um, you know, reading, reading sci-fi about these sort of breakaway civilizations in, in space. And so all these things were super interesting to me. Um, and I, yeah, I mean, I guess I, I was wondering, like, you know, what would it actually take um, to build a new city, to build new infrastructure, to build sort of like a sovereign tech stack and things like this. Um, and then I, I ended up going to work for a hedge fund um, in New York that uh, was invested in a big master plan community developers. They build giant towns or, you know, even you could sort of like, you know, call them cities. Um, learned a lot about sort of how that business functioned. Went to go work for another hedge fund, started doing a bunch of research on cities on the side. Um and at a certain point, I just decided to take the plunge. My, uh, my co-founder then, you know, a guy that was working with me at a hedge fund, uh, the last one I was at, decided, hey, let's, let's try to figure this out. Um, so we quit our jobs um, and went to the places with the highest sort of new city density in the world. Um, so we flew, to, we flew to Ghana and uh, Nigeria and traveled around West Africa. We didn't know anyone there. Um, we met a guy named Charles uh, through a friend on Facebook. He was a great guy. He took us sort of all over the country and that was sort of how this whole thing started. Yeah, I mean, that that sounds like a quite the adventure. And and what stage are you at right now? Because you have both these projects. You have Blue Book Cities, which is, I guess, the kind of the the more venture arm of, of you know, creating the actual city. And you have Praxis Society. Uh, how do they differ and, and what's kind of the relationship with them between them? Yeah, so Blue Book Cities is a new city developer and operator. Um and we want to build many cities. We have 
we have this sort of vision for the future where, you know, historically cities have been organized around sort of these like global labor markets. Um, they lack sort of any sense of, you know, foundational values or shared purpose or, you know, as a religion or anything like this, They're organized principally around labor markets. Um, and the thing that COVID did that was actually sort of like, you know, pretty great, I think, for, uh, you know, people who care deeply about sort of like living with other people who share their values and things like this is that um, it basically caused a massive uh, acceleration in terms of remote work. Um, and it brought sort of the labor market that was in the city up into the cloud um, and allowed people to leave cities, uh, leave these labor market cities, take their jobs with them. And there's sort of this open question, you know, are, what, what are cities going to be organized around? Um, now that they're no longer organized around labor markets. And we think they're going to be organized around affinities, shared value, religion. And so Blue Book Cities, this sort of core idea there is building this new sort of class of city, this new type of city, these sort of uh, affinity uh, oriented cities. Um, and then Praxis is our first community, our first sort of like shared value community uh, of pioneers that are going to live in this city. Okay, so so Praxis is kind of the, um, the kind of the online space where people congregate so that they... Will eventually live in, in in one of your cities. Yeah, uh, so sort of started online. We we thought of it as sort of like a like a cloud cloud city. Um, Balaji Srinivasan talks about these online communities, these sort of pre city communities as being cloud cities. Um, but in the last couple of months, we started uh, opening up uh, sort of Praxis houses, so physical spaces. I'm actually in one right now um, in Soho. We we have a bunch in New York and uh, you know Austin and other places. So. Um, we have some IRL, you know, spaces too now. Yeah. Excellent. I feel like that's been, that's been sorely missing <laughs> in the last year, at least for me. Um, I, I actually, uh, escaped one of these labor market cities, or I guess like, <laughs> like, uh, you, you described it, you know, these cities, like, I mean, I used to live in London for, for about like five or six years. And now last year with COVID and with, general life stuff and also not wanting to live in like a big you know exhausting metropolis we moved out um but i'm I'm curious what your feeling is like why is this not the best you know uh, the best idea for building a city why is like a, a, a city based on a labor market suboptimal and why would a you know a, a value-driven city be better yeah i mean i think for a few reasons so one um i mean there are a lot of people in the world who have like value systems that are just fundamentally incompatible. And I think it's hard to um, it's hard to create a coherent political unit when you have like so many different factions, you have such a like fractured, um, you know, population in terms of sort of ontology and values and these things. Um, and it's really hard to um, develop a coherent sort of political entity with a shared vision for the future. Um, and, and to sort of march towards it in an effective way. I think you look at San Francisco or something like that, nominally it's the, the city with the builder ethos, um, but in reality, there are these sort of Luddites there that are trying to drag you back. And you end up having this seesaw and a lot of energy expended, um, you know, just trying to sort of like fight in the trenches and it doesn't have to be that way. We could live in cities with people who are sort of aligned with us in terms of, you know, values. Your values imply your vision for the future and, uh, and sort of, you know, if, if you're aligned in terms of where you want to go, it's a lot easier to get there. 
Yeah, that makes sense. Sounds sounds very based in a way to to confront yourself with that with that idea that, you know, maybe we can't all just get along because it seems like it's not really working. Obviously, I know what what you mean that there's a tension between, you know, the the Luddites and the and the, you know, San Francisco tech community, but I guess this happens in in many other ways as well. Like there's a lot of tensions in big cities, which is also part of the reason I I escaped the big city because it was, you know, like walking around at night is like one of the small luxuries that I enjoy as a person so it would would have been great to be able to do that in my in my uh, little hollow in, uh, in East London but unfortunately it was it wasn't meant to be so uh, I moved back to, to Eastern Europe where it's a bit more calmer um, um, I'm curious like with a blue book city um, how would I mean what types of values would you congregate around is this kind of like a kind of like a co-working community are these uh, ideas of you know kind of founder ethos or what what is a value that for example you'd you'd you know consider core to to maybe one of your future cities yeah um well i mean i think at least with praxis the sort of core value um is human flourishing that's sort of the goal um the, yeah it's 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 human flourishing it's sort of like it's human extension going out into the frontier extending through time and and space um and the type of people that are attracted to the content that we put out, um, you know, tend to be the kind of people who would have stepped on the Mayflower 400 years ago. These are people who um, are fundamentally pioneers. They feel an affinity for the frontier. They're not like Seth Rogen. They're not asking this question, why would we go to space? Well, you know, there's so, sort of that, that's like, you know, just like spiritually incompatible with, uh, you know, who they are. And I think... Um, you can sort of get into the finer points of like the sort of moral framework and all these different things. But I think like sort of at core, um, there's sort of a, like a charisma of the frontier, a charisma of the pioneer and the aesthetics that sort of is attractive to the right, the right people. And uh, I've actually found it to be a lot more effective to sort of share like, you know, visuals and share uh, sort of, yeah, I, I guess this sort of like aesthetic sort of vision of like going out on the frontier than it is to sort of like get into the, you know, the finer points of my uh, sort of like moral framework, though I've spent a lot of time sort of doing the philosophy work too. Yeah, I think I think you're right about that. I think there's there's something, you know, like the ineffable in aesthetics and just kind of being attracted to the, of the vision of a, of a future life or the vision, like the possibility or something. It's not, it's even kind of beyond visuals. It's like, like you said, like that frontier, like the frontier spirit. Which is yeah, it's it's even meta, you know, above visuals. It's yeah, it's it's pretty. It's yeah, I I, I feel like I get it, but you know, it's um, it's one of those things where you kind of have to be that kind of person for it to appeal to you. You know, I mean, you if you build it, they will come. It's kind of like that, um, and I, f I feel like that's you know that's a very um, it's it's not the traditional way of of getting people to join your organization because you tip typically people, you know, this is not an organization, but it's kind of like that, you know, you kind of put out something and you expect people to respond. It's not like, you know, a job ad or anything where it's like our values are, uh, and that always seems, you know, sounds a little bit hollow because, you know, our values are what I see they are when I'm there, you know, <laughs> you can tell me what your list of values is, but you know, this is just no way to, for you to prove that that's, you know, that's exactly what you're living. So I think it's, it's really a, a, a cool way of looking at it. And I've, 
you know, I've gone onto your website and yeah, the visuals are pretty cool. I have to admit the, the Praxis Society with this is quite, is quite sexy. And I'm like, yeah, man, <laughs> where is this? <laughs> let's, let's get in there. So yeah, <laughs> I, I may be one of these people, one of these pioneering people. Yeah, and you've you've written uh, an essay on the spirit of the frontier, uh, which I found was really uh, was really cool and kind of describes this essence that you're talking about. Um, and I'm gonna quote from it, and then I'll let you respond to the quote because this is this is the format that I've chosen for this part of the of the interview. Uh, so this is the part that I, I liked and I kind of resonated with. So um, we we've lost the future because we've lost the past. Um, we live in an atomized society. We bowl alone and demonize our compatriots together. To build the future, we need to converge on a vision for it. To converge on a vision for the future, we need to converge on values. So it's, I mean, the, the first part of this is super interesting. Like, you know, we lost the future because we lost the past. I mean, what, what do you mean by that? And how did we lose the past? Where, where did it go? Um, yeah, I mean, I think so... I mean, historically, sort of societies have been, they, they sort of rest on these foundational, they rest on these foundational values. Um, and that sort of like mediates the futurist vision of any sort of civilization, it mediates the trajectory, sort of like, it's it's the, the ruler by which you judge um, sort of possible futures or something like that. Um, and towards the end of a life cycle of a, a civilization, um, sort of belief in, belief in the core values, belief in the core ideas start to fray. Um, and I, and I think sort of in some sense, like, you know, at least at the scale of a civilization, we lost what we had at the beginning. Um, but then further, I think there are sort of these like, you know, pre-enlightenment ideas like, hey, um, yes, yeah, sort of, uh, I guess that, that man isn't, that man isn't totally malleable, um, that we shouldn't sort of, uh, you know, push the, the sort of right to determine sort of like, you know, what man should be onto our political elites who then try to sort of shape and form us in this way, you know, using uh, policy and education and other institutions of, of the state. Um, I, I think, I think uh, yeah, there, there are things that are lost at sort of the scale of humanity. There are other things that are lost at the scale of sort of our, you know, civilization. Yeah. And I feel like this just kind of harkens back to having a common myth you know, I feel like for the, the, you know, the frontier society that you're describing, you kind of have this, you know, the, in, a, in a way you kind of have the myth of Elon Musk because he's kind of our frontier guy. But you need some form of mythology, I guess, to fuel this because, you know, like if if you were to not lose your past, it means you would have roots in your past and then you'd kind of be feeding off some form of, uh, I don't know, hero or, or some some form of something that you can reflect back. And that represents, you know, the, the the ethos of your society. Do you think like Elon Musk is a minimum viable myth for um, for a potential future city, or do you need something deeper, like I don't know, Mesopotamian gods or something? Yeah, um, that's an interesting concept. The minimum viable myth. I think. Um, I mean, certainly he like is radically transgressing the sort of defunct hero system of of the sort of twentieth century in America. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, th there's sort of this like offsided statistic that, you know, kids in the U S want to be like, you know, YouTubers and, you know, podcasters and, you know, I, I make YouTube videos and podcasts and stuff. Um, but you know, kids in China want to be, um, astronauts and, you know, there's sort of something to be said for a civilization that sort of like, you know, ingrains, uh, I don't know, like a sort of, you know, like that, that kind of like lofty sort of aspiration in kids. And I think, um, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think having, I think, yeah, I think, I think like having Elon is like pretty powerful. Um, you know, not only because he sort of transgresses the sort of like hero system that's in place here, um, but yeah, because he's done it like in such a sort of polarizing, powerful way. So, yeah. Yeah. And he's also like kind of, I don't know, I don't want to use this word twice, but he's pretty based in the sense that he doesn't really care that much about, you know, credentialism or in, you know, institution, the institutions that, you know, we're supposed to be respecting and, you know, expertise and all this type of stuff. Um, and he's got lots he of power. He yeah, is. Well, I think his COVID, his COVID comments were, were very based in like March, um, way back. Yeah, and and just you know the, the leverage he has, you know, like his his Twitter is you know is a, is a kingmaker or you know a, a, a market destroyer, like just the the idea that someone can just like say Dogecoin and then <laughs> something you know a whole whole sections of the internet catch fire. It's it's quite cool. Totally, yeah. No, it's insane having that kind of distribution and that kind of like mimetic force, you know. Yeah, he's uh, he's definitely uh, one to watch, guys. Watch watch Elon Musk, see what he does. Um, so I'm I'm curious, like um, in in terms of the the second part of this, you know, the conversion on values. Uh, this is yes, yeah, something you've touched on before, but um, how can you make kind of make people converge on values at scale, or is it only possible if people decide, okay, we're going to restart, you know, kind of forming these re local hubs and we'll find each other. Uh, but is there any way to kind of, I don't know, to fix maybe some of the stuff that we already have where we don't converge on values or. Um, yeah, I mean, I think these things are really hard. I mean, I think, um, certainly the, uh, this sort of like blender that is like neoliberalism. It's sort of like I, I went to, when I was in Ghana, I was in this like small village and the teenagers there were wearing like, you know, fake sort of like off white hoodies. Like they'd spray painted off white. And it, it's just like this sort of like, yeah, technology just gives you tremendous, tremendous leverage, tremendous scale. And certainly um, it's, it's, it's sort of hard not to see the dominant, um, you know, culture, like I, I dominating society and dominating the globe. I mean, I think, to the extent that we put like a tremendous emphasis on, you know, organizing around shared values. And then with the sort of added momentum that I think uh, this sort of, um, you know, dispersing of the global labor market city will have, I, I think, you know, we can reorganize sort of around shared values, particularly like, you know, religious people. I think, you know, if, if you're a Mormon um, and, uh, and you want to go into investment banking or something like that, sort of like Salt Lake City is pretty good. New York, New York is better historically. So maybe you go to New York and then you're living with a bunch of people whose values are totally incompatible with yours. But if that job gets sort of like abstracted into the cloud, you don't, you, you don't have to be in New York anymore. You're definitely staying in Salt Lake City. Um, you're definitely staying with, um, you know, people who sort of like have a similar sort of like fundamental worldview as you. Um, and I think, I think that sort of, you know, impulse um, will, yeah, I mean, I, I just, I think that's true with a lot of people. I think there are a lot of sort of like, you know, quasi valueless people, maybe it seems like they're valueless because we're like so sunk into this culture or something like that. But um, yeah, I mean, I think people who have like, you know, fairly divergent values will leave New York, leave LA, leave San Francisco um, and, and group together. And I'm not sure what the political implications of that, uh, you know, that happening are, but um, I think they're pretty, I think it's pretty important. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, it's also uh, interesting that you you kind of mentioned this neoliberal soup that we're all swimming in because a, a big 
characteristic of this is to me like homogeneity like you, you know the london new york paris brussels they all kind of starting to look the same um and you know you would say okay we we have diversity and we've got you know this is uh you know all all the people in the world coming together you know creating something but it's not really because you know a coffee shop in in downtown I don't know, LA looks just like the one in, in Paris, France, and they're, they're increasingly kind of starting to converge on this one idea. Um, do you think that having, you know, variety, having, having different cultures in the world and maintaining the, the, the fact that they are different, is that, does that add value to, uh, to the globe in general, or is it, you know, is it, yeah is it kind of a the detriment because uh, for example if you'd have like a totally french cafe the people might not speak english you might not be able to, to you know transact smoothly with them uh but it would kind of still have its its essential quality yeah totally i mean i think uh yeah i mean having texture is like a really beautiful thing having a bunch of different you know a bunch of people like sort of you know with different aesthetics and different cultures and all this i, I think i think that's like a really beautiful sort of wonderful thing and i think um I don't know. It's, it's sort of unclear if everyone in the world will submit to sort of like global, you know, homogeneity, global neoliberalism. Not sure that they will. Maybe they will. Um, but I, I wonder if it's even possible to have like that kind of, you know, cultural globalism, particularly, you know, when it when it seems so sick right now, it seems so like kind of a feat. And uh, I don't know, it's, it's, it's strange. It's strange because it's sort of on the one hand, you have like the most powerful sort of like mimetic uh, you know, complex in the history of the world where you have, you know, kids in like Russia that are talking about like, you know, I don't know, like wokeness or something like some like, you know, weird, like American idea. It's like strange that they've even, you know, been infected by um, the sort of various like, you know, mind virus mutations that are floating around the US. It's strange that, that they're exposed to these things. Um, but on the other hand, it's like the idea seems so strange and so like, you know, fundamentally incompatible with um, you know, the belief systems of these people in other places, it's, it's, it sort of makes me wonder if it's even possible to, um, to truly globalize in this way. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely kind of a, either an American mind virus, or just something that's tied to the internet. And because the internet is so tied into America, it kind of seeps through into all sorts of communities. Uh, we have it here as well. I mean, I always say we're kind of downstream from whatever happens in the US. And back in the day, it used to be like, oh, okay, it's like, we're 15 years downstream, we're 10 years downstream. Now we're about a few months downstream. So if there's some mimetic bullshit happening in the US, you know, you'll be certain that people will either talk about it or I don't know. I mean, we've had Black Lives Matter riot. I mean, riot. No, it wasn't. It wasn't a riot. It was like a protest in Bucharest, and I thought that was really funny because we probably have to, you know, count the black people that we have in this country on one hand. It's not a. It's not a big magnet for for people of that of that ethnicity. So it's 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 really it's it's really funny. Um, but um, it's also um, kind of a. I don't know. It's 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 a strange thing because I feel like it used to be really high status to be plugged into these memes, but I feel like it's kind of eroding from the top now. So 
people who are actually high status, which is, I mean, to be honest, it's Silicon Valley, they're starting to disassociate from these memes a little bit. Like they're not, you know, the the Starbucks, you know, global homogeneity, you know, coffee shop is not as trendy as it used to be. Like 10 years ago, yeah, you should be there with your laptop clacking away in your, in your flip-flops because that was the place to be. But now it's like, mm, I don't know if, if we like this anymore. Um, do you think that there's a chance that, you know, if enough people with enough status and enough leverage and, and this new this new mimetic complex kind of give up on the neoliberal homogeneity and you know are interested in localism are interested in building communities that this could you know kind of infect mimetically infect the the lower strata and kind of maybe convince people that maybe yeah the the sex in the city lifestyle or whatever meme they bought 10 years ago was not is not as you know relevant today yeah um I, I mean, I, I certainly think so. I mean, I think uh, someone called this out on Twitter uh, a day ago or, you know, perhaps two days ago that like there are a lot more people signaling like Christian now. And before there was sort of this like based like trad cat thing or whatever, like, but it was sort of this like, you know, undercurrent. It wasn't like, you know, really core. Now it's like a lot more people in like sort of like popular American culture are talking about like their faith, whether it's sort of like you know, you know, Christianity or you know, Jewish or whatever. Um, and it seems like, I don't know, I wonder if it's, um, yeah, I, I wonder if it's just like you know, in these moments of uncertainty and like political turbulence and all these things when people feel, you know, sort of like deeply uneasy about the future, um, that like they're more inclined, they're more, I, certainly they, they, they like, certainly people are more inclined to indulge in utopian ideas during these moments. Like there are a lot of sort of, yeah, utopian ideas floating around in, in the late 60s in the US. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think I, I think there probably will be some sort of like, you know, reaction to like Starbucks culture because it's not really working. There are a lot of people who are like deeply unhappy because they didn't have kids and, and sort of all these different things. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think the I've, I've noticed a religious signaling as well. And I feel like it's also because we really are over the... the um, new atheist movement like it's it's been it's been played out and it's really it's a very low status now even in the circles of people who are really smart and um a lot of people are kind of you know drifting into more traditional lifestyles kind of you know poking around interested in the stuff and uh, you know a lot of that is religion as well people rediscovering their family's religion or joining new religions like catholicism and things like that's really trendy um and I think that's that's part of it. And it's it's I think it's now high status to be I mean, I don't know if it's high status, but it's definitely not like, you know, you're not going to be laughed out of the room. You're not going to be like, oh, look at this religious nut. <laughs> yeah, um, totally. I mean, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess like there's always it's it's sort of like it's I don't know how to say this without it sounding like lame, but it's it's so, like, you know, there's sort of this like punk rock impulse or something like that. Where it's like the Chad, like, I don't really care about your idea, you know, like, you're just like, hey, like, my instinct tells me that X, and it's so uh, sort of transgressive of this, like, you know, kind of autistic, like, sort of rationalist thing that I think was sort of like info for like a while. Um, yeah, it's, I, I think the, the, the Chad, like, you know, I'm just like asserting that this is what I believe, sort of irrespective of the evidence, like that's sort of become uh, a more common, like, sort of mode of communication. 
Yeah. And, and also, I think it's based on, you know, what, what we've seen from, from the science camp in the last year and, you know, like the tr- trust the science, you know, believe the experts, defer to, uh, to your new gods. I think a lot of people are like rightly suspicious of that because it hasn't really panned out. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to say, you know, there is no such thing as expertise. Obviously there is, but in the institutions, the way it's presented and the way it's been wielded with, with, you know, power, um, it's not been very, credible <laughs> there's been quite a lot of bloopers on on that side so um i guess you know people kind of believing their lying eyes and you know kind of getting a bit more empirical with their own life is is a, is a normal direction um i think yeah that that's one that i've kind of taken as well and um you've kind of coined this term and i, I think it's super useful the uh, trad humanism if you could tell me more a bit about trad humanism i think it's it's, it's a yeah. it's interesting um idea um yeah, I mean, it didn't start as an idea. It started just as like a, you know, like I the, the word came before the the concept for sure on that one. Um, I mean, I think though, uh, James Poulos uh, sort of responded to a tweet that I had about, you know, trad humanism. And he said uh, uh, that like humanity is a, tra- a tradition worth preser- preserving. Humanity is a tradition worth preserving. I think that's sort of the core idea. Um, that there's this sort of transhumanist idea. I think transhumanism is a lot... Um, like liberalism, it sort of presumes that there's um, this sort of better state of man um, and and that we should use sort of technology. In the case of liberalism, it's like we should use the state or policy. But in the case of transhumanism, it's like we should use technology to sort of shape man in this like, you know, uh, you know ideal image of man created by men. Um, and I think there's something sort of deeply disturbing about that. I think we want to sort of like uplift man as he stands. I don't think we want um, necessarily to turn you know, uh, men into something they're not. And, um, I think that's sort of the core impulse. Like I'm certainly not like a Luddite, like I'm sort of like super, like, you know, into this sort of like techno futurist stuff. Um, but I think, um, thinking about how we can construct futurist visions that like promote our values, um, and how we can sort of build technology that allows us to sort of like, you know, flourish and like uplift ourselves. Like those things I think, uh, should be the sort of driving impulse of any sort of civilizational project or, um, you know, technological project, at least at some level. Um, and I think that's sort of the core impulse of trad, trad humanism. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah I, it, that definitely resonates with me because it's kind of the idea that, okay, we have these human values and they, we kind of put them before the, the tech that we want to develop. Cause at the moment to me, it feels like a lot of the stuff that's happened with tech and a lot of kind of the, the, the runaway algorithmic stuff that we see, you know, with, with all sorts of like, you know, I, I don't know, online porn or whatever stuff that, you know, is, is quite a, you know, corrupting influence or even just like hyper palatable, you know, I don't know, corn syrupy, shitty food that you know makes deforms people with every bite uh that's also kind of a runaway optimization algorithm you know which is based partly on on food tech um and all of this stuff is more like okay so we've put the tech before the human because we said okay we're going to um create these products and we'll throw them at the market and see what sticks uh what's the value behind it i don't know shareholder maximization you know shareholder value maximization and you know we'll see and um you know and then you kind of have the cover to say okay this is you know this is increasing utility for each of the consumers who wants to part with their money but it's is it increasing utility <laughs> if you're, you know, if you have to be airlifted out of your apartment because you've eaten too too many Twinkies and, you know, things like this. So I kind of like the, I feel like, you know, trad humanism might be the 
the concept where you you really want to think about what you're doing and how this might be conducive to human value. Obviously, I think, you know, the Amish are doing this in a way in, in an extreme version where they're really, really thinking about what they're doing um, up to the point where they don't want to do much. <laughs> but, you know, if, if you were a bit more tech inclined, you you might want to to put, you know, to think about that value system very carefully before you you throw tech at the wall and see what sticks. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think, um, I mean, there's this like libertarian impulse that like, yeah, people sort of know what's best for them, um, that they have this sort of like epistemological advantage relative to the state or the church or anyone else. And like, I was, I was pretty sympathetic to that for like a really long time, but I think like, I don't know, people are just so mimetic. People are so like heavily influenced by, um, their surroundings. I think it's, it's very easy to, um, at the level of like the hegemon to uh, particularly if you have like, you know, vast cultural power to like induce behaviors that are really bad for people and to make people make sort of like nominally make decisions for themselves um, that aren't good for them at all. And, and that maybe are particularly short-sighted or, or whatever. And there's this sort of notion of, you know, the sort of the NPC. Um, yeah. I mean, I think like sort of GDP go up is like not the, the, the be all end all that definitely not. Um, and you sort of look around and, and you ask yourself like, are, you know, do, does, do sort of the people look healthy? Do they seem like spiritually healthy? Um, and in, in sort of, you know, most cases, I think like certainly not, um, certainly not. And I think that's a really sad thing. But I think sort of the, you know, the, the sort of the white pill is that it's actually not that far off. It's like you can change your life in like sort of small ways um, and, uh, and, and, and live a sort of fulfilled life and, and that it's not actually like, you know, it's not actually totally, you know, to, totally like black pill because, um, you're being nudged in these in these ways. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I feel like kind of what what my my worry is that you know these lifestyles, these kind of like alternative lifestyles, seem to be pretty limited in who they're addressed to. Um, in the sense that you know you have people who are, you know, either because they're like very low conscientiousness, they you know they just don't don't have you know either intelligence or things like that. It's just just you know everyone's on a normal distribution in all these traits, and there are people who are going to be you know either below average or quite super below average, and um, they're they're not going to really have the capacity to. Uh, to transcend a lot of these optimization algorithms that are pointed straight at their lizard brain that, you know, okay, you know, eat the Twinkie, look at the porn and things like that. And I feel like that kind of, I already see these two casts, you know, these two major casts kind of drifting apart from each other with when you have these people who are like, you know, returning to <laughs> returning to tradition and, you know, kind of like the ex-rationalists and people like that. They're, you know, it's it, it feels like, um, kind of like a luxury thing to to do this. Obviously, you know, this is almost me, me being super Marxist about it and like, oh, what about the other guys? But I feel like, you know, this is not this is not a solution for everyone, maybe. Um, yeah, no, cer certainly not. I mean, I think um Yeah, I don't I, I, I don't know. I mean cer certainly not. Yeah, it's definitely not not the right answer for everyone. Yeah, I mean, you can't really be out there to save the whole world. That's a pretty utopian idea. Um, but it is interesting. I think uh, Tyler Tyler Cowan, I think he wrote a book about this, and he essentially his vision of the future as this kind of libertarian uh, paradise would be like you kind of have the the upper echelons of people who you know engage in creative work, and they you know they're the movers and shakers. They create productive activities, and then the rest of them are uh, in kind of like these 
almost like ghetto like stimulus ghettos where they're just kind of connected to sensors and you know they just get you know thousands of, of pleasure impulses a day through whatever mechanisms they choose be it gambling or porn or stuff like that and you know uh, and for him you know his perspective is that you know this is a utility maximizing solution but to me <laughs> it feels like this is a bit of a, a a horror show to have these like i don't know almost like matrix style ghettos of people who are like they're having fun you know they're eating the steak but um i don't know <laughs> is this is this all there is yeah, I mean, um, I, I think Tyler is a brilliant guy, but that doesn't sound like particularly appealing to me. It doesn't sound like, um, you know, the most we're capable of as a species. Yeah, and yeah, I feel like, you know, the, the, the more technologically advanced we are, the more space we make for the people who are actually, you know, are capable of, of wielding and manipulating technology in kind of the this, this symbolic world. Uh, and this group kind of pulls away from everyone else and yeah i'm curious if um you know if if someone will show up with a with a solution that maybe doesn't involve sticking people into into the literal pod and connecting them to (laughs) i don't know whatever sensors or whatever need to be connected yeah i mean i think there are a lot of ideas that um are sort of like internally consistent and so they're harder they, they they end up being like really uh yeah, re- really compelling, sort of on their own terms, but they're sort of they only exist within their own sort of envelope, and um, and uh, I don't know. I, you know. The world is the world is so complex, right? The world is like so complex, and any theory, um, any sort of like you know vantage point or experience is only sort of this like you know glimpse of like this like you know sort of big obelisk or something that you're sort of like you know too close to to really see. And um, you know, frankly, I I, I think. Uh, to see fully at least. And I mean, I think, I think that's one of the big problems with, um, I don't know, sort of like having like a, you know, ha- ha- being ideological at all, I guess is, is, is so limiting. Cause, uh, cause I, the world's just complex. It's like, if, you know, if you think reality is a square, it's probably a cube or, or something, you know, more with higher dimensions than that. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely a big, a big pitfall of, of people who, you know, they're, they're trying to find the, what, what is the nature of the best regime what is you know what yeah. is uh how what what should global government look like you know and and who should yeah. be in charge and yeah that's that that's a bit of a problem because the you know i think the the localist approach is probably best uh in the sense that you know you might not optimize for all of the global outcomes in the most you know, efficient way, but you will have local experiments and then you can see, you know, if people mess up in a, in a catastrophic way, at least you don't, you don't just burn the whole world to a crisp rather, you know, you have, uh, yeah. you know, maybe one little, you have many redundancies <laughs> in, in the system. Yeah, for sure. These things are, cause then it's, it's sort of like, it's almost like is, is localism like relative, like sort of like is, is like, you know, uh, is, is like the global government, uh, sort of like a local government if we live in this like, you know, um, galactic, you know, uh, sort of confederation or something like that. And then sort of like, a, yeah, do, do we care about tribes? Do we care about uh, nations? Do we care about sort of like, yeah, I don't know, uh, you know, sort of races or religions or, or so, so on and so forth or sort of like, you know, species from from different planets? I think if these things are like like so hard to talk about, um, like language is, is sort of very confining, I think, in some cases. Yeah, for sure. It's it's one of those things, you know, that 
exists in, in humanity. People do care about, you know, their their tribe, their ethnicity. Nowadays, it's more these mimetic tribes. You know, I definitely identify maybe more with people that I know from the internet than, you know, people that are maybe like two blocks away from me here in my hometown. Um, but, you know, even even these things are, are super salient, you know, yeah, if, if if someone's completely alien, doesn't speak my language, I'll, I'll probably, it's going to be hard for me to form any, you know, kinship bond with, with them. Um, I'm, I'm curious if you think that there's a, a future for more kind of ethnocentric stuff building, like people kind of gathering with uh, not only, you know, their mimetic tribe, but back with their, you know, with their country or with their I don't know, cultural kin or even, you know, I mean, you said religion, but could it be like, I don't know. I, I feel like race is probably not that important, but in the sense of that it's correlated with ethnicity, it's probably important because, you know, that's that's probably one of those things. So I don't know. Is, is that a, a trend you intuit is going to continue? Um, maybe. I mean, I think, um, I mean, certainly you see like, you see some, uh, sort of like clustering along those lines, like within cities. Um, I think it's plausible to me that if um, the sort of like, you know, the labor market city disperses and uh, people no longer have to be in like Chicago, it's really cold in the winter, you know, all these things, maybe, maybe, maybe they leave. It's sort of less of a strong pull because, you know, the job isn't there anymore. The job is wherever they want. And they sort of go hang out with people who, you know, they feel like they have things in common with. And maybe that's, you know, uh, sort of like, shared upbringing and it's correlated with race and all these different things. Like I think, to, yeah, to, totally plausible. Uh, my friend, uh, one of my friends uh, in praxis, uh, uh, Alpha Barry, he um, was born in Cote d'Ivoire and he, he wants to work on this like sort of African Renaissance project where he builds these new sort of like techno futurist uh, sort of cities in, uh, in Africa for people the diaspora who want to you know go back and and return the sort of the the based african return or something like that and it's super cool he's like a brilliant guy and um i think he's 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 gotten a lot of traction i think a lot of people do find that to be um you know compelling in that community those sort of capital inflows you know back into those countries from uh you know people who have left are, are pretty enormous so people certainly do feel um you know a strong sort of like bond to you know their homeland and like you know, perhaps their tribe in, in some cases, depending on sort of how far out they are. So, um, yeah, no, I, I think that's totally possible. Yeah, I feel like, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of people doing that in Eastern Europe as well. But it's also kind of hard to reattach to these communities, especially if you've been away for a long time, um, because you're you're kind of not really part of the community you're kind of just visiting and uh i mean it's also been in my case it's been covid like covid has been really really shitty because it's you know essentially turned this whole country into like a military dictatorship and like you know people yelling on the street get in your homes and yeah it's it's been quite the <laughs> quite the weird one yeah i mean uh anyway so it, it, it's been um it's been interesting to try to build community back um, here. I don't know. Is it, do you do you know what kind? What, what are the recipe? What's the recipe for community? What what do I need to do to 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 build community? Because you've been doing this for for a while now. What's what's the main ingredient, or what's what's the combo there? What do you? Um, yeah, I mean, I think um, certainly. Uh, yeah, I mean, there should be some sort of, generally, there's some sort of commonality, at least in terms of, um, you know, ambition, or background, um, 
or yeah, I mean, often I, I think sort of like building communities around like a specific project, like you look at like the open source community, people who work on these open source software projects, like having a goal um, and having someone that you're, or having something that you're kind of driving towards with other people um, is a really powerful bonding agent. I think another sort of like, you know, um, element of this is shared struggle. So, uh, I mean, certainly we, you know, like my community, we like to go, um, you know, on hikes and do things that are, that are hard, go work out together, things like this. And, um, yeah, shared struggle is a really powerful bonding agent. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, the purpose of community is connecting people too. I mean, so I think generally like when you're building community, you want to think about like, okay, like, you know, who would this, who would this person sort of enjoy you know, meeting and just make sure that you're doing sort of proactive, you know, one-to-one introductions because that creates like a sense of comfortability with the group and uh, just gets people way more like excited. I mean, that's why they're, they're there, like ultimately. Um, you don't yeah. bond with the group in the same way that you do with like a, per- like you bond with people, you know, so. Yeah, exactly. I think that's, that's really good advice because that's, that's the thing, you know, I'm not really part of many activity groups here. But uh, I've seen I've seen some 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 stuff that might be interesting. So like volunteering or something. Um, yeah, I'll probably do that. Though to be honest, I mean I'm I'm so pregnant now that I'm just waddling everywhere and like I'm I'm challenged by stairs and stuff. So I don't know if I'm gonna do any volunteering anytime soon. But in future, that's that might be that might be a good way into into chatting to people. Um, yeah, and I'm I'm also curious about. Uh, I think you mentioned this on uh, on your Twitter. Like, what is a, a sequester state? Because um, I think there was a tweet about um, you know there were petro states and then there were states that were built on you know other other forms of energy. But what what could a sequester state be? Yeah, I mean, so the core idea. Um, I mean, the core idea there is is to uh, create. Uh, sort of like powerful narrative and a powerful sort of like, yeah, like, like memeable sort of memetic concept that um, like motivates the adoption of, uh, of carbon capture technologies. Um, this isn't my idea to be clear. It's uh, a, a member in Praxis, uh, Eric Wahlberg. Um, this is his idea and I've been sort of riffing with him on how to, how to frame it. But I think um, this idea of, yeah, like there's sort of the petro state, you know, sort of, uh, you know, like energy is sort of the economic driver of, you know, Saudi Arabia and Abu Dhabi and these different places was super powerful through the 20th century. And then sort of like inverting that saying, hey, like actually, uh, you know, we're going to construct these anti-Petro states. We're going to have these uh, these cities or countries that uh, have an economic driver of sort of these carbon capture technologies where you have this big like bog and there's some like, you know, chemical in it that absorbs carbon or, you know, like whatever, some plant that absorbs carbon and you're able to measure like the amount of carbon that's being captured with like a satellite and then generate carbon credits that you can then uh, sell. Like, I think that that's the core idea. Um, the thing that's really enticing to me about it, um, though, is like the sort of mimetic power of it. It's like the anti-Petro state, the sequester state. I think that's like a really cool idea. And I love, I love like sort of cool narratives and cool like coinages and stuff. So, yeah. 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 I think that's, that's really interesting. I mean, how, how far along is, is carbon capture technology or is it just kind of, you know, building a really big forest or what, where, where what's the stage of this technology? I mean, I don't know if you, you know that much about it, but I, I have no idea about it. So if, whatever you tell me, I'll be like, okay. This is yeah. I, I, yeah, I can make some stuff up. I know very little about the, the climate. Um, yeah. Trees, trees seem to be pretty good at, at this. I, I've heard. Um, 
I, yeah, I think uh, Eric, Eric would be happy to talk with you about it at some point. Though. I think he, <laughs> he, he's the guy to talk to you about the sequester state. I, uh, yeah, no, because yeah. it's 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 super interesting because this is like, you know, carbon capture seems to be kind of like the, the killer app for the problem that we're having. Um, you know, people just want to tell you, OK, yeah, you should you should, you know, not have children, you know, maybe maybe just kill yourself slowly if possible, just to yeah. make sure we don't make any more carbon. But if we might be able to, you know, do do any efficient form of carbon capture, then, yeah, that that probably what we should be doing and you know maybe orienting our tech a bit more into that direction instead of i don't know like slow slow suicide or whatever else is on the menu nowadays yeah i think that that's what eric talks about a lot is is sort of this notion of like taking it off the table it's like we have we have the bogs they're absorbing the carbon let's move on to other things um yeah, let's just get it off the table and, and sort of move on. Because otherwise, it's like, there's sort of this question, like, are, are these people like really serious? Do they, is this actually what they care about? Or do they have these sort of other motivations? Because you look at the nuclear stuff, it's like, it seems like nuclear would basically solve the problem. Super clean energy um, doesn't really emit like much or any CO2. I don't, I don't really know. Um, but but sort of the notion is basically, you know, these people are super anti, uh, you know, a technology that can sort of solve their sort of nominal problem. Is that really their problem? Sort of unclear if, if they're not um, excited by it. I mean, I think, um, yeah, that, that's basically what I'd say. I, I think, I think this notion of like taking the problem off the table is, is compelling because otherwise it's like, you're just like giving people the opportunity to say, Hey, like, let's like block out the sun. Like, you know, it's like in the New York times today, again, it's like, you know, a hundred million dollars is going to study like blocking out the sun by spraying like shock in the atmosphere or something like that. And it's like, I don't really want to hear from those guys anymore gives me a lot of anxiety to think, not actually, but you know what I mean? Like, you know, to think of people spraying chalk in the atmosphere, um, that, that doesn't sound like a very compelling, uh, I don't yeah. know. That sounds yeah. bad. That sounds bad. That, that gives me like deep Luddite vibes. Like, I'm yes. like, <laughs> I really want to make sure, you know, someone, someone takes, takes care of that. That doesn't happen. Cause it sounds like, yeah. Like the, the hubris in that, and you know, it's kind of like one of those things where, oh, we're just going to bring in these, uh, the special lizard that's going to take care of our rat problem. And then, you know, <laughs> 200 years later, you know, your, your whole ecosystem's messed up. Just a little bit of chalk to block out the sun. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Instant yeah. nuclear winter. Oh, okay. We messed up. Well, <laughs> it's just so strange too, because these people are so fearful of so many different technologies that seem... I don't know, promising and, and, you know, compelling to me. And then, and then they, they got me on this one though. I'm, I'm the Luddite on the, on the chalk in the atmosphere for sure. I, it, it took a while to find, uh, I'm usually not the Luddite, but chalk in the atmosphere definitely you know, gives me pause. Yeah, it feels like, you know, there are certain things that maybe you don't really understand how they could reach scale and, you know, like, uh, you know, runaway AI type thing that you're like, oh, you don't even know. You're just putting in the little USB disk and, oh, shit, the singularity. I don't know if that's <laughs> the way it's going to happen, but, you know, it could be. You you can't foresee it. Uh, but there's stuff like this where it's like, okay, you're already doing something absolutely nuts at scale. With you can't really test this technology. How are you going to test it? Go to Venus, test it there. Or, you know, there's no there's no second Earth where you can just like you know put the chalk bomb in the air and say, oh, you know, it's going to be chill. Um, yeah. yeah, it's like one thing to like cut down trees, but it's it's like a celestial body. Like I had a friend uh, who I had a few people over the other night, and he had too much to drink, and he came up to me and was like, just like the sun is more beautiful than any woman and then like walked away. And I was like, wow, like <laughs> that's insane. <laughs> like, I, yeah, I feel that, you know, that's, that's a, that's a, it's a good point. Ralphie, the, uh, the Albanian guy. Um, 
Yeah, Ralphie and, knows. Yeah, Ralphie does know. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Um, so on, on this like uh, weird note, what, what's your, what's your biggest white pill? What should we be optimistic about in the world? You know, what, what inspires you to get up in the morning and just take life by the horns, build cities, you know, just be, be an optimist. We seem like an optimist. Yeah, totally. Um, well, I mean, I think, I think, uh, we're in like this moment of like sort of profound, you know, turbulence and change. Um, and most of the sort of like high energy sort of like thematic people that I know aren't uh, sort of like aren't doing anything super exciting. It's sort of like this notion of like, um, yeah, I mean, like during these moments, sort of like history doesn't owe you a Charlemagne, like history doesn't owe you a Napoleon, but history didn't know like Napoleon to Napoleon. Napoleon picked the crown up from the gutter and just sort of, uh, you know, took charge, took charge of his life and uh, sort of reordered. You know, and I, I think and I, I think that sort of notion, the sort of like, you know, great man theory, I think I think that stuff is like really compelling to me that actually like you can make a difference. This sort of like sprawling systems theory isn't everything. It's sort of like one way of viewing the world. It's like a pretty good heuristic. But actually, um, yeah, if you like attack problems with maximum energy, um, you, you actually you know can be sovereign. You actually can change things. You actually can improve the world. And that um, most people have no idea sort of particularly where we're going. I think, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think sort of a lot of the conspiracies give give people too much credit. I, I, I don't think that uh, I, I don't think that we are you know ruled by these super Machiavellian people who have a, you know, a super specific plan. I, I think I think you can actually like change the world for the better. And and um, yeah, I, I think you can change the world for the better. I think you can do that like yourself. Yeah, yeah, I think I think you're right. I definitely buy the the, the great man of history theory. Um and I think people have much more leverage than they think they do right now. Like with the internet, if you're kind of a, a highly verbal person with, you know, a laptop in your hands, you can really move mountains if you, if you know kind of how to, how to wield that power or, or just persistent enough. Like, you know, I know some people are not, not crazy talented, but they're, they're just, you know, going at it every day and, you know, things, things happen if you, if you do it enough or if you, if you put yourself out there, um, you know. Yeah. I mean, that's, that seems like, you know, one of your strategies. I mean, um, are you in the phase where you're looking for people that are interested in, in joining Praxis or are you kind of at capacity with the group or kind of what, what's, what's the tactic now? Um, I mean, yeah, certainly, uh, you know, we're always excited to get, you know, super talented people who want to do something sort of like, you know, big and important, want to embark on a heroic project, like, you know, people like that, I, I always love to talk to and I, you know, sort of invite to apply. Um, we, uh, I mean, we're also about to start like, you know, doing a sort of big hiring push. So we're going to hire a bunch of people to Blue Book and hire some people to sort of like help us, you know, run Praxis. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that's basically the state. I mean, for us, it's like we want to build this massive, you know, community of the most talented, ambitious people um, that, you know, just want to live together, that want to live together, be pioneers, build a new city. Um, and then we're talking to a bunch of different governments, um, you know, that want to attract a slice of Silicon Valley, that want these people sort of like highly creative, highly talented people in their borders, um, you know, not only because... Um, you know, because of the economic contribution, but also, you know, from the knowledge spillovers. And um, I mean, it's really kind of remarkable. I mean, we, we launched this like Praxis housing concept. I'm in this Soho, the Soho house that we have. Um, but we have, we have a bunch of other houses all over the country. And in the last like month, in the last like 30 days, our members living in the houses 
uh, created like $300 million just about of enterprise value, which is a completely insane, like launching crypto projects and these sorts of things. So um, yeah, I mean, if, if you want to sort of like, you know, get involved with stuff like that, definitely apply. That's, yeah, that's what I'd say. So that's excellent. I mean, that's, so that's definitely a proof, proof of concept right there. Um, it's, uh, it's interesting to me how the, the idea of, of cults overlaps with these kind of conscious communities. And, um, you know, is in a, in a way, I feel like a cult is kind of the, the most basic unit of, uh, of kind of human cooperation. You kind of almost can't get away from the concept of a cult because what is a cult? It's like people really believing in <clears throat> kind of the ethos of something. I mean, is, is there something to be said of, of, you know, maybe you trying to build something close to a cult to, to kind of cement uh, one of your cities or, you know, your, your, your spaces? Yeah, I mean, I think um, it's an interesting question. I mean, I think uh, certainly we want to have like, you know, a distinct set of ideas. I think one of the sort of like hallmarks of cults is they they make a sort of concerted effort to like alienate people from their families and from the other communities they're in and, and stuff like this. And, and that's that's not really like that's not our agenda at, at all. I also don't think I'm charismatic enough to be a cult leader. Um, you know, we're, uh, we're, we're pretty focused on building a big real estate project and that's sort of, you know, where I spend most of my time. So I think, um, yeah, I, I think, I think there are some elements of cults that are like, you know, aspirational and kind of cool. Um, if, if you're trying to build like a powerful brand and a powerful community. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't think we're very, we're very culty, frankly. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I feel like there's kind of a, a spectrum from, you know, no involvement to I will now commit suicide for Jim Jones, you know, that's kind of yeah. like, so you I guess you want to strike a balance somewhere in the middle where you want people bought in and they're like, you know, they're not just going to leave tomorrow because they find a better job somewhere else because, you know, that that would, you know, destabilize the community if it's just yeah. kind of if it's just a housing project doesn't really doesn't really work but you also don't want them to be wearing matching sneakers and you know drinking poison and stuff or whatever <laughs> whatever people do so i don't know yeah. it's like how how do you strike that balance where it's like okay you have this mimetic complex that you're selling people or you know that you present that's that's compelling but also you don't want it to i don't know you don't want it to be dangerous <laughs> or you don't want it to to go too far yeah i mean i think um I don't know. I mean, I think like, it's sort of like, you know, like Harvard or something like that. I mean, there are these like powerful brands that sort of help orient communities and help like mediate people's behavior. And even like aesthetics, you know, you go to like, you know, I don't know they, some schools have uniforms, like things like this. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, for, yeah. I mean, I think, I, I guess like the nature of cults is like, you know, more sort of like insidious. It's more sort of like, you know, sort of thumbs its nose at like sort of conventional um, sort of like metaphysics and things like this. I think, um, I don't know. I mean, you look at like Nixium or something like that, that seemed pretty bad. Um, you look at WeWork, um, it, it's just like a company. It's not a cult. It's like, it's just a, com a company with a CEO who's like charismatic. I think the term gets sort of like bandied around a lot. It's sort of like unclear exactly what it means. It seems like it's just sort of like, like when you have like a group that people are bought into, you can sort of either frame it in a positive or negative way. And I guess maybe like what informs that is like, is it uh, like, is it, is it sort of like, um, 
I don't know, does it imply that what you're doing is like wrong or something like that? I don't know. I guess I don't have like a, like a, a super, you know, full theory. I mean, there is this like notion that like cults become culture if they're successful and that like cults are the unsuccessful cults that actually cults, you know, they're a lot of oh, things yeah. are basically cults. They share all the characteristics, you know, that sort of cults have, but, but the, the ones that we call cults are the unsuccessful ones or something like that. Because that kind of makes sense to me. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, cult seems to be like a you know a term of uh, of dismissal for yeah. for people, especially. I mean, I, I've rarely heard of a cult that doesn't have some sexual component. It feels like once once sex and you know pedophilia or something goes comes into it, you know, or like I don't know, mass suicide or something real bad, then it's a cult. But up until this point, it's a religious community or whatever, an intentional community. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have I have no harem. I, I just work all day, so you know. <laughs> <laughs> no harem yet. Come on, yeah, believe in yourself, right? Right. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, there is um, a question I, I ask everyone on the show. Um, it's about um, if you have a thinker or someone that inspires you, or you know, some some important person that you uh, attribute a lot of you know influence to you uh to that you know think you think that people should know about or should care about you know who who is this person is there a person like this uh it could be a writer it could be i mean we've had everything from you know game developers to bands to artists to you know sculptors and stuff so um i think uh I, I think I, I definitely took a lot of really compelling sort of ideas from people over the last like sort of, you know, really like sort of up until like nine months ago or something like that. I had a, I sort of downloaded a bunch of really interesting ideas from a lot of, um, uh, you know, sort of a lot of the usual suspects. And I basically like stopped reading like six months ago, like entirely. I like don't consume any content and I just uh, like think about stuff and try to like use my instincts a lot more, use my intuition a lot more. And I've sort of backed off from like being like, you know, the theory cell, like conceptualizing things and just try, I, yeah, I, I don't, I guess I like, probably the way I talk, it sounds like I like, I'm dealing with a lot of theory. And I guess when you're on a podcast, that's kind of the nature of the beast. You're trying to like frame things in interesting ways and stuff. But I guess like when I, yeah, when I just sort of like go through my life, I basically, I'm trying to sort of like, move towards like all instinct like just making sort of like gut decisions um that's where i'm at right now yeah no i i think that's there's there's a lot to be said for that because you know we're we're all kind of just you know sitting on at the end of a pipeline just consuming content all day and i'm like oh what are what are you consuming tell me more maybe i could consume an extra bit of content from you um but yeah i think i think you're right about that because you know what i've realized is that i was listening to so so much audio and i mean to be honest i, I do that now as well because i'm you know i'm a very big producer consumer of podcasts and audio material uh, but at one point i realized that <clears throat> i had maybe two or three hours a day where i could hear myself think the rest of it was hearing other people think and you know while it's it's stimulating and it's it's cool to you know i don't know get your get your neurons tickled by some other people's thoughts um it really i don't know it kind of got out of the practice of thinking for myself in a way i don't know if that's yeah that's weird. i i think okay yeah i think actually now that i'm like thinking about it a little bit more like one of the things that like really like sort of like um drove this point home for me is um so I met like, like, I don't know, like basically almost all of my sort of like heroes that are living in the last year. I just like had this sort of crazy 
introduction run or something like that, where I got to hang out with all these interesting people whose, you know, ideas I've, I've, you know, taken really seriously and thought a lot about. And like, they're all like amazing people, but they're just, they're just dudes kind of, you know, they're just guys, they're just like people like us. Like they're, I, I don't know. It, it's like, it's, it's kind of hard to like, to really take like ideas and sort of like verbal patterns, like super seriously when you're like hanging out with, with, you know, the people that you're taking them from, particularly when you have an idea. So trad humanism, like, you know, the, what, whatever, but I, there are a bunch of like sort of ideas that I've had in the new city space that are like, they're not like coinages really, but they're just like framings of different problems and things like this that I've heard other people like basically like all the time. I hear them repeat them back to me. Like, it's like the way to think about it is this. And I'm just like, I just like said that once. I'm just like a guy, you know what I mean? Like, I think I'm probably right. Like I've thought about this stuff a lot, but like, it, yeah, it just gets weird when people start like saying idea, like your own ideas back to you as if they're like the idea, like the way to think about the thing. And then you, it really undermines like a lot of your, uh, I don't know, like faith in, in sort of like, you know, the, the, the framings that you found like alluring, you know, historically, I guess. Yeah, and it kind of demystifies authority a little bit because you know, yeah, yeah I, I I know I know the feeling because I've I've kind of gotten to do the same this year. I mean, not not in person because I'm like literally in you know backwards in Romania, but I've talked to a lot of people that I've always wanted to talk to this year, uh, and uh, not that they're all not crazy impressive, but also it, it kind of made me kind of recalibrate, you know, what um, how I you know, how I freak out about people or <laughs> how I see, you know, yeah. their, their perspectives as well. I mean, I feel like, you know, I, I, I am a meme generator as well. So, you know, I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm amongst, I'm amongst my peers <laughs> and it does, it does feel good. I mean, it definitely, it definitely helps with, uh, with confidence, you know, to, to just, you know, to just be dudes with, uh, with, with dudes. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. A hundred percent. It's yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, totally, totally. Like, it, it actually like changes how you think about the world. I think like at, at a certain point, like you, you, it really just like sinks in that like, um, I don't know. There, there are less rules. There are less rules than you, than you think. Like the whole world is just like people. Like it's like, it's all psychology or something like that. Um, and that there are no institutions. There are no like rules. There are no laws. It's like, these are like heuristics that are applied, like, you know, in, I, I don't know, sort of like varyingly consistent ways um, but the, the, the whole thing is like, is sort of psychology and consciousness and stuff. It definitely, uh, it causes you to reframe things for sure. Yeah. And, and it's, it's been quite surprising to me how easily accessible a lot of the people that I wanted to talk to were on the internet, at least, I don't know, at least to me, like the fact that, you know, I can just send someone a DM and say, Hey, want to talk to me for an hour on this podcast that I just made? And they're like, yeah, sure. So yeah. I don't know. It's, it's, it's quite, it's quite heartening. I don't know if it feels because people like people obviously back home they ask me like how did you make this podcast like how do you get people to talk to you and I'm like on the internet you can just talk to people and they come on your podcast I mean yeah you can try it it is pretty amazing <laughs> yeah it is it is and I've learned so much about not only making podcasts but about you know all sorts of stuff that people talk to me about obviously about you know making cities today with you so that's that's been really cool um uh where where can people find you what's what's the best place to to access Dryden and his opus of cities and work um well I mean so right now Twitter Twitter is like the easiest thing for me um I really like writing and I want to produce a lot more long form content, but uh, 
I, I'm just like, you know, I, I, we, we need to hire up a lot, frankly, for me to have time to, to do that more. Once we do and once I start writing a lot more, then I'll start putting stuff out on, on a newsletter and on the website. We have like a, a magazine on the Praxis website, praxissociety.com, and we're publishing like some of my stuff and some of my friend's stuff and, you know, Praxis members like essays and, and whatnot. So, I mean, if you want to follow just like the sphere of ideas, that's probably right. And then me particularly, my, my Twitter is best. Okay, perfect. I'll, I'll put it down in the show notes. And yeah, please, uh, please follow Dryden. And I'm really, really uh, keen to see what, what happens and where this, this first city is going to be. I mean, yeah, I might, I might show up one day with my, my, my whole family. <laughs> We're moving in. <laughs> I, would, I would love that. I'll, uh, you'll be the first to know when we, uh, when we announce. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dryden. Uh, it, was, it was lovely talking to you. Cool. Thank you. Likewise. If you like what you're hearing, want to see where I take it, and maybe want early access to episodes, bonus episodes, access to the AMA, or you just want to support the cause of dissident speech or my work in general, head to my Patreon at patreon.com slash aksubversive. Your donations are what keeps the lights on and makes the show possible, so thank you. <laughs>